0: This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Psalm 73? It was a few years ago that my daughter, Ashley, uh, who was the one that was in the, the Navy. that She ordered uh, a Caterpillar online. Do you know about the, the online Caterpillars? <laughs> so you order it, they send it to you in the mail. I don't know, maybe it's an Oriental Trading Company for all I know, but uh, you go through the process and, and you put it in the little thing and then within a few weeks you get a butterfly. Has anyone ever done this? Okay, so I can't, ever, the, most of us have not, but homeschoolers for sure. <laughs> <laughs> We called that uh, homework. Uh, so the time came when this butterfly was born, and it was giant, and so we, uh, we were going to set it free into nature. So we're standing in the cul-de-sac of uh, 511 Prince of Wales Court in Franklin, Tennessee, and we open up the container, and, uh, and it took a minute before the butterfly felt comfortable to fly, and so it just eventually takes wings and it's just this beautiful sight and we're all, there's like six of us so we're all standing there. How how old would Ashley have been? Maybe 10. We're all standing there looking like we're looking at Jesus being, you know, sending to the Father and we're, and out of nowhere, a bird, (laughs) this is a 100% true story. It literally got above the house and a bird swoops in, mercilessly picks this thing out of the air and flies away. <laughs> so, so now we're our, our look of like is suddenly. <laughs> and nobody wanted to speak first, right? Nobody, like, had, I'm, I'm, I got to say something thoughtful as a father, like you know. But Ashley uh, beat me to it when she said, "Well, that's the circle of life." And she walked back in the house. <laughs> and we're all like, well, I guess that takes care of that problem. I so, <laughs> actually learned a very brilliant lesson that Psalm 73 actually teaches us, which is sometimes bad things happen to good people. That sometimes you can plan, and, it, and then out of nowhere, a bird swoops in and just picks away this thing that you've been working on, and it doesn't seem fair. And the question of when that happens and your faith is kind of shaken. I I prayed and this was supposed to happen and it didn't happen. This wasn't fair. How do you pray when your faith is shaken? So I want to show you at the end where... Of, of chapter uh, 73, verse 23, where he actually begins the prayer. The first few verses is him sort of setting up the situation, but this is the prayer that he falls into, and it says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. This is uh, a guy named Asaph, not the guy. That's Aesop, the guy that wrote the fables. This is actually a worship leader from David's church. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all of your deeds. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you will cause your word to be alive in us today. Lord, would you speak instead of me? Would you speak in spite of me? Lord, would you move past my imperfections and, and bring your perfection into what you want to say here today? Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters at Word of Life and Murfreesboro, Allen, and the good things that you're doing in that church community. Down the road at the bridge, Lord, with Ian. Lord, you're doing amazing things. Your name is lifted high there. And downtown at the Belonging, even though they're Australians, Lord, you love them. <laughs> Lord, your, your name is being lifted high in downtown Nashville. We are just one of many churches, Lord, that are lifting your name high. And I pray that today, uh, as we do that here in Middle Tennessee, that you will be the one that receives the glory it's in your name jesus we pray amen so how do you pray when your faith is shaken like if you haven't had it happen yet it's probably because you're 2 years old but at some point whether it's a butterfly picking out you know being picked out of the sky by a, a vulture or whether it's this plan that you had that didn't work out there's there's questions that can kind of come from that and in our country right now that, that might sound minor to some of us, but when you talk to people who are publicly um, I believe they call it deconstructing is sort of the, the new phrase for it, but in the 90s, we called it having a crisis of faith. We just didn't have Twitter. But it, it's just they're just asking, what do I believe, what I believe, and why, but most of them, and this is a sweeping statement, but anecdotally speaking, didn't, didn't come to that conclusion based upon whether or not uh, they had seen something in the Bible that jumped out at them. It was that something in life happened to them that didn't line up with what they thought God was or who God is, and that was what began the, 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 the process in their lives. And uh, look, there's no, uh, n- 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 nobody is like wondering right now like whether or not there's a crisis of faith happening in our country. You'll see these kinds of headlines from places like Pew that belief in God now is down to 81%. And, and, and by the way, you see that, and you think, oh man, our, our country's in trouble. Can I maybe disabuse you of that notion? Um, I would like to suggest that People that, for the most part, believed it, quote unquote believed in God. That that's not necessarily the best metric for how our country is doing. Meaning that uh, do they believe in God? Like in, in Indonesia, if you uh, when you get your driver's license, you you have to literally pick a faith. You know, there's Christian, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. And I remember asking my Christian friend there, well, what if you're Jewish? Because there's only five. And she said, she was really confused. She said, well, uh, you, uh, you don't. You don't. <laughs> anyway, but, so some, when the belief in God, like that is something that is, may or may not be the right kind of gauge for us because a lot of people say they believe in God. I mean, Oprah believes in God, for crying out loud. Like, a lot of people believe in God, but do you believe that... In the God of the Bible, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, do you believe in Jesus crucified, buried, resurrected on the third day, just as the scriptures foretold? Do you believe in the way, the truth, and the life? That's the metric. What is more concerning to me than 81% is that only four in 10 say that God actually can hear or even answer prayers. Like, that's that's kind of a bummer. And I'll say to you that... In this room, for the most part, we would say, in a bunch of Jesus people, the the, the most of us would say, we believe that God answers prayers. But sometimes in our life, we have these situations where we, like we may not be part of the 81% or the the 20% that say they don't believe in God, but I wonder in my life, I've had to do a personal inventory, are there parts of my life where I say I believe in God, but I live like I don't? Meaning that prayer is the last thing I do, not the first thing I do. And if prayer is the last thing, or not even a thing, that what that kind of makes me is a situational atheist. Like in this situation, I fully believe in God, and I'm praying for this. In this situation, I fully believe in Darren, and I believe in him, right? And and the idea of the walk with Christ is actually to sort of like just merge those together over time, so that ultimately we are 100%. Believing in God and prayer is literally one of the greatest litmus tests for where our belief in God lies in specific parts and situations of our life. I don't say that to bring any shame to you at all. I'm just saying it as a litmus test for you to look at to say, you know, prayer is pretty much the main thing that we have to look at in our lives as to how much we are leaning and depending on God. Now, that said, this prayer here is a prayer that says, it's, it's a, a little bit of a follow-up from Tracy last week. And can we just say, by the way, um, Joel, two weeks ago, just mopped the floor. Like, oh gosh, like that was amazing. And then, and then Tracy shows up last week. Not only does she bring an amazing word, she properly accessorized her outfit with the slides. Like, that's next level. You know, I don't have a single item of clothing that could possibly match whatever the color is that we're doing here. It's a candy apple vomit. I'm not sure what the design color is. What is that color exactly? Like, I don't have anything that matches that color. So to the design people, I'm going to need you to go with more blacks and tans so that I can match. But they did a great job. (laughs) But Tracy last week brought a word about how do you pray when it seems like the world is winning? Okay. This Psalm 37 is, and 73 are sort of mirrored in that way, and I'm, it's intentional, because I want you to think through what Tracy said, and now think through some more implications of the idea. If it seems like the world is winning, like, how do you pray? Because what happens when you think the world is winning is your faith begins to be shaken, you begin to ask the question, is God really all-powerful? Is God all he said he was? Is there? And if it's not there in the front of your mind, it's bouncing around in the back of your mind. And just like a stomach virus, at some point it's coming up one way or the other. So you might as well deal with it now instead of waiting. And the challenge is this. He, he lays it out here in verse 1, 2, and 3. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, in this passage, something jumped out at me. And 38,000 feet, probably over Utah, as I was sort of praying, coming home from, from Washington... That in this passage is actually of an idea, a word, a, a thought, of what most crises of faith are born out of. And when I say a faith crisis, you, I'm, I could either be referring to the, uh, the the ones we hear about online, where now I'm not a Christian anymore, and I'm writing books and selling courses on how to not to be a Christian. That's one. The other one which is more common in our region of Williamson County of Middle Tennessee, the faith crisis we experience the most is we see what's happening around us in the darkness in the world and our fear rises up inside of us and our reaction to that is where uh, another version of a faith crisis. That's where I'm looking at this situation and my fear and my rage, and by the way, some good litmus test for this is how often are your Facebook posts in all caps? Right? How many, what's wrong with you people? Posts are you throwing up? No shame. I'm just saying, I'm giving you some litmus tests for where you could be having a faith crisis, not the one where I don't believe in God, but the one where I don't believe God has this in control. That's just another version of the same faith crisis. And so the question for us is, what is the cause of that? Where is it born? And he says it here. It's literally a word that we don't think about. It's a sin that we don't think about. But before any of those faith crises are born into the real world, it seems to me that what he is setting up here is this very idea, and that is that the most common crisis, cause of a crisis of faith, is the one we don't talk about at all, the one we talk about the least, envy. Listen to what he says. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 2 I, my feet almost slipped I almost lost my faith because I envied the arrogant I envied the proud I envied what I saw what they were doing and I, it, I, I had envy for it of, of the seven deadly sins most of them there's some sort of like a benefit that you get from it initially right Let's just start with the one that you can say, I, I'm pretty sure Darren struggles with this one, gluttony. It's okay, you can laugh. I mean, Lord, for, this last week, the, the amount of food they were throwing at us, I was like, I felt there was so much shame when I ate more ice cream cake, I'm like, Ugh. But, but in that moment, right, before, like I woke up an hour later and I didn't remember anything happened, but there's nothing but an empty box of ice cream cake. Like I don't know. There was a pleasure in it. There's a pleasure for a season in that kind of sin. If you've got rage and anger, right, and that's one of your, th- in the moment when you're losing your stuff, you're actually feeling pretty good about it. There's, there's a feeling, and I could go on, lust. There's a feeling that you're like, I'm getting my money's worth at this point, but later I'm going to regret it. But not Envy. Envy is the most insidious of all because there's no pleasure from it even in the moment, but it's so subtle and so, like, I avoid it and don't even act like I even experience it because it makes me feel so small, so trite, so cheap. Envy. What is it that he would say I envied them because they were kicking butt and taking names? Envy was saying they were getting what I should be getting. Envy is I'm resenting them because they're succeeding and I am not. I don't know about you, but for the last two weeks, uh, this is, by the way, it just jumped out of the page at me. So this was like the Lord just saying, hey, Darren, if you're looking for what your problem is, that's the one. We had just come out of the Northwest, every airport. Sign we saw. It seemed like every store we saw downtown, every banner we saw, there were rainbows everywhere. And I'm thinking in my heart, the virtuous side of me is, God, that's your symbol. You're the one. It's the symbol. I'll never destroy the earth again by flood. There's rainbows coming out in Revelation. They've stolen your thing. This is your thing. So I'm actually disguising it as virtue. But what am I really feeling? I'm really jealous that they got the microphone and I didn't. I'm jealous that they get the signs and I didn't. I'm envious because for some reason they seem to be the ones on the airline that are able to, to you know, use their narrative there, and I can't. I I was thinking through just the idea of an entire month devoted to one of the seven deadly sins. Pride. Look, pride comes before the Bible was full of warnings against that. And there's the, the entire nation right now is crying out saying that we're elevating the things that God says don't elevate, and we're taking the things that God has used for his own message. And it made me angry. But what I was, if I'm being honest, what I was really feeling was I was. Envious of them. And here's why this matters. If I'm responding to this out of envy, then I'm not going to respond out of love. I'm going to be responding out of anger and out of rage. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, that doesn't work. That's not a good technique for bringing the truth. So the envy of the wicked, he says, As for me, I almost slipped. I envied the arrogant. And when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, and isn't it interesting, the end of the arrogant, if, if there's something that you've seen and maybe uh, you don't notice, this, I read a lot of corporate media. I don't know if I'm just a glutton for punishment, if there's some sort of intellectual masochism, but I just, I'm, I read the Atlantic, I read the New York Times, I'm interested to see what they're thinking, and I'm interested to hear their thoughts and just... And what I have seen across the board in whether it's corporate media, whether it is uh, corporate marketing, all those—it's all the same thing. It's arrogance. It's intellectual arrogance. And what does he say there? That's the—that's the the thing. It's the arrogance. I'm angry, but I'm really envious of their uh, getting the microphone. Me not. And when I saw, I envied the arrogant when I saw their prosperity. We live in a culture right now where envy is the marketing technique that underneath all other marketing techniques that is is literally the core of every Instagram ad The core of every marketing commercial is envy. That you have something I don't. You look some way that I don't. It's literally permeating inside of our culture. And I'm just asking you, if you've never considered it before, would you consider prayerfully looking in the mirror and asking yourself the question, am I struggling in an area of envy that I need to let go and repent of so that I can now properly pray, properly move about the world in a Jesus-like way? It's going to be a painful experience. It starts with asking one question, who in my own world I've made this super macro, right? I've made this about these ethereal marketing companies. Or, so that's super macro. But would you zero in a little bit with me and ask in your own personal life, in your workplace, in your school, in your friend group, who do you resent? And is it that you resent that they have something that you think you deserve? Is it they are getting there? It's crushing it. I mean, I literally, I spent 20 years Uh, while most of you guys were out there like doing real jobs, I was out there like selling music, which you can't even see it. You know what I'm saying? It's it's literally discretionary income spent on something that you put on an iPod or back then it was an iPod. It wasn't like we were like protecting government secrets, like people's lives weren't on the line or nothing, but we acted like they were. But in the back of every tour bus, you would find a band judging the band in the bus next to them. I swear, I'm not making this up. Like, They would, oh, I can't believe they're, you know, this. And by the way, I managed one of those bands. They were selling like millions of records. I knew they weren't that great, but for some reason, they're selling millions of records. We were one of those bands that the bands next to us were, I can't believe they got that nice of a bus. But you know what we were doing in our bus? Looking at the bus next to ours, man, I can't believe he's got that nice of a bus. It's just an insidious envy. We wouldn't have called it envy. We just, we just thought we... I don't know what we thought. It's kind of embarrassing now, because I look at it now going, well, that was clearly envy, and we just were too dumb to know it. But in your lives, in our lives, if we start with the fact and recognize that envy is not just some ethereal thing, it's literally a poison, it's literally toxic, and if you just, like any toxin, will let it go, it eventually takes you to a place where the question now is, why did God give that person that, and he didn't give me that, or why didn't he get that, but I did. Why did he? It, it puts you in a place where you're questioning your faith and your, your faith crisis born out of envy, not out of, uh, of, of just an intellectual ascent into the scriptures. The second thing is he goes on. He tells us about what I would say is the change. The challenge is why are these good things happening to him and not to me? And I'm envious of them, but the change was him saying, you know what? There's a new perspective here this is the perspective if you read 2 Corinthians 4 Paul talks about we are broke down right? we are struck down but we are not destroyed we are persecuted but we are not cr- this is that version of, the, of a new perspective here when he says I had spoken out like that if I had spoken out like that I would have betrayed your children the verses in between was him talking about how unfair God is how bad he's getting screwed and how everybody else isn't getting screwed he's talking in hyperbole like they don't have any struggles they're all just crushed. It there. None of that is even true, but in his mind, it is because he's not seeking the truth; he's just seeking from the envy. But he's coming back now to the truth, and I love this because he says, "If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children." Asaph was a worship guy. He would have been like not Chris Tomlin, but like Chris Tomlin adjacent. Like he wasn't the big one, but he was one of the ones like right beside him. People knew who he was. He led worship beside David, and he's saying, "If I'd spoken like this." half-truths, and put it out there, what would that have done to God's children? If you're a musician in this room, you have any sort of a platform, whether you're a musician, you're an author, you're, and you come to a place where you are having a faith crisis, can I ask you, can I beg you, please don't do it on Twitter. Because asking questions, that's not courageous. Anyone can ask questions. Seeking truth, that's courageous. At least figure out what the answer is and then let the chips fall where they may. Most of the people that I know that have gone on a journey where they've questioned their faith, it is a journey. And many times when they go on that journey, they end up coming back to Jesus. I am one of them. There were moments in my faith where I had to come to some conclusions of like, wait, is there actually a God? Because I thought that if this happened, that this guy would be healed, but he wasn't healed. So what's up with that? Either there is no God, or what I believe about him was wrong. Those were the only two choices I had. Now if I'd have had Twitter, how how many of God's children could I have wrecked their faith by taking that journey publicly? take that journey. God can handle your questions, but don't make other people suffer with your questions. Allow yourself to seek that truth, find the answers, and then go and share those answers with the world. But don't, please don't do it publicly and along the way, because that's what Asaph is saying. This is a past tense thing for him, what if I'd have done this publicly? How much damage could I have done? And then he goes on to say, when I tried to understand all this, it, under, uh, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. The challenge, why do these wicked people, why do these things seem to be happening? The change is, and now when I finally went into the sanctuary of God, I finally came to the conclusions that I needed. Now the question, of course, is what is the sanctuary? Uh, This this past week, by the way, I I spent this time, I told you, leading these young people in in the word of God. And by the way, I did figure out something. The music business is a young man's game, and this guy is not a young guy anymore. I'm long past my warrior face. But listen, I taught every morning at 9 a.m. for an hour. By the way, I get bored of myself after about 30 minutes. So I got an hour to fill. And I just felt the Lord say gospel, 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 truth, truth, truth. One day I was speaking about the blood of Jesus and atonement and the, the, the... penalty being paid and that Jesus loves me so much, right? Uh, But My my sin is so bad that nothing short of the death of the Son of God could save me, but he loves me so much that he did it gladly. And the guy that led the session following mine every day stood up after that and said that penal substitutionary atonement is a new idea. That the idea that Jesus just died for your sins is presumed in Christian music and so we must have a bigger faith and a bigger idea. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. For an hour, he's basically bringing a whole new idea that the the Bible was the best that they understood at the time, but now we know more, and so we can get creative and finish out what God started in the Bible. Every day for an hour, that's what I'm hearing, and I came home, Shannon could tell you, I was in a funk last night. I was like, man, did I just, is that a week of my life that I'm not getting back? But you know what happened is that I came back to my sanctuary, A sanctuary isn't a church per se, right? Quasimodo, he took Esmeralda to the church, and if somebody knows, and declared sanctuary because in sanctuary there is safety, but a sanctuary isn't necessarily a building. It's like you're a people. You are my people. I got up this morning and I was like, I feel better, you know why? Because I'm going to my people. (laughs) I'm going to my sanctuary. Glad to be here. Last week, your teenagers spent a week. Now, there's a lot. We had them stand up, but you understand. There was a lot of teenagers, and there are a whole lot of leaders who are going to get a big old mansion in heaven, and y'all are going to be mowing their lawn for a 1,000 years after what they had to do for your teenagers. <laughs> but you know what they found last week? Their sanctuary. Their people. And I don't know if, if Bennett is in here this morning. Where's Bennett? Is he in here? Oh, his parents don't slept in. I don't blame him. It was a long week, but listen to this. This is what what happened last. I don't know what contest Bennett just won, but he brought the house down because he was in the sanctuary. He was with his people. Your sanctuary is your people, whether they're in Franklin or whether they're in Panama City but when you're with your people. Sometimes we're called out into the world to be the light that he's called us to be, but man, we gotta get back to the sanctuary because in the sanctuary is safety. In the sanctuary is what he said. It was there. I was finally reminded, because you know, I mean, when you're just out there by yourself, you start asking yourselves all kinds of dumb questions. The, 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 the narrative in your head just What if this is it? What if I just wasted a week of my life? What if I, and I come back this morning and I'm in my sanctuary going, oh, no, no, never mind. I I needed to go out there, get my butt kicked a little bit, but I come back here with my people and y'all are gonna go out this week. Y'all gonna get your butt kicked somewhere in the world, but we're gonna come back here again and in a sanctuary, we're gonna encourage each other and we're gonna be reminded, which is what he said the reminder is, which is that, I understood their final destiny. In other words, that they don't win. The world doesn't win. This is a season that we're in. It's a time between Eden and the new heavens and the new earth. And there are moments... When the world feels like it's winning, and if you—if this is brand new for you because you grew up in America—understand that throughout history, the majority of the church, the majority of the world, this was normal for them. It's normal to be persecuted for your faith. It's not abnormal. Normal. So we, when he said uh, Eric said about the two four two groups, it's fun to romanticize Acts two forty two that they came together for, like, for prayer and. Fellowship. They were devoted, right, to the breaking of bread. But what you forget, what I forget, is they came together because the world wanted them dead. The whole Jerusalem wanted them dead. They were persecuted. They came together in unity, in sanctuary together. And if the world continues in a path that it's on, and it's plausible... You need your 242 group, whether it's part of this church, part of another church, which you don't need to be is the one flying out there on your own because the time that you need the group the most, right? If you're not in it now, the time you need it is the time you're the most isolated. So find yourself in. If you think, I don't need it right now, trust me, someone else needs it. So you get to be that for somebody else. And when your turn is up to need it, you'll already have your group in place. The last thing is this this is the question how do you pray if the world seems unfair right if, if the challenge is why did the butterfly why did Ashley's butterfly get eaten like why is why is my metaphorical butterfly getting eaten in this world the challenge right and the change is now I'm looking at this new perspective that it's not just this earth but it's the kingdom here and the kingdom beyond that Jesus is in and the last thing is uh, the character of God that's what you're going to pray I can't think of a better prayer in any one of these situations than to pray not hyperbole, but truth. Because the very first verses he's saying, they don't suffer, the wicked are crushing it. He's like he's literally reading their Instagram reel. They're just awesome. The wicked are, are amazing. It wasn't true. Here's what's true. Yet I am always with you. This is him praying to God. You hold me by my right hand. And by the way, as you read this, the gospel permeates from this because the gospel is that Jesus, when he reached out his hand to the Father, he got a nail in his hand and not the Father's hand. You guide me with your counsel. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus needed his father's counsel the most, there was silence. Afterwards, you will take me into glory. When Jesus said it is finished and breathed his last breath, he was not taken to glory. It says that he descended into the depths of Sheol. Whom have I in heaven but you? and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all of your deeds. You see, Jesus gives us the power to overcome envy, At the very basis of the gospel itself, everything that you deserved, Jesus got. It was not fair. Everything that I got, right, forgiveness and grace and holding out my hand, Jesus did deserve that. But Jesus, the guy that should be the most envious of anyone throughout history, looks at what happened to him and doesn't begrudge you the blessings and the grace of God on your life and in that doesn't it give you the power now to look at those around you and say I'm not going to begrudge you the same thing the same grace that God extended me he will extend to you that's the grace of God it's the goodness of God You understand that the gospel is not some tertiary starting point. It's the point. It's everything. When I extend my hand to the Father, I'm not getting a nail in it, I'm getting a nail scarred hand holding on to my hand. And I can't think of any better way to finish this out than to say just that. You see, Asaph was praying believing that God was good, looking forward in faith. But we, we don't have to wonder whether God is good because the hand that holds and reaches to yours has a hole in it still. It's proof that he's good. God of the universe who became one of us. And it wasn't cosmic child abuse that he sent his son The Bible says it was somehow, miraculously, it was God in Christ. He himself taking that for you. And any God that would do that is good. He's so good. Now from that, from that position of grace, can we look to what's happening in our world and yes, respond with courage, yes, respond with action, but not based in fear, but based in grace. Not driven by envy, but driven by love. Love is patient and love is kind, right? But it's also true. We have a loving obligation to tell the truth, but we can do it in a way that isn't out of an envious way and out of a way that what he's saying here, which is praying that God has got your hand and he's got my hand, Stand to your feet, I wanna pray for you. Would you be praying for our brothers and sisters in Uganda, Nepal? Schools have been opened there because of your generosity. Hundreds and hundreds of children are going to school who are hearing this exact same gospel message. Would you be praying for them today as those schools are opening for the summer, our summer, their winter? And it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Jesus, thank you for connecting us to a loving father. Lord, I pray that you would make these words alive in me today. Lord, would you forgive me for the envy that I, it was right there in front of me, right under my nose. Lord, would you forgive me for it I repent of it? Change my mind about it. That we might be able to speak truth, but speak truth in love. Speak truth in courage, but not in envy and not in fear. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.